Section 12 of Sermons to Children by Sabine Baring-Gold. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Marianne. Sermon 12. The End in View. Ecclesiastes chapter 7 verse 36. Whatsoever thou takest in hand, remember the end, and thou shalt never do amiss. The time of youth is the time of learning. Whether you like it or not, you are obliged to study, for your parents know that your future condition in life, as men and women, will depend to a considerable extent on what you have acquired as children. Your thoughts are much directed to your studies. You take a certain amount of interest in them, have an ambition, maybe, to advance in them. Now, as youth is so much engaged in study, it is well that you should have a clear understanding of your object in life for which you are preparing, that you should see the end at which you are driving. Knowledge, which you are laboring to acquire, is a great thing to acquire, but you must not overestimate it. It is not everything. David prayed, O learn me true understanding and knowledge. Knowledge he desired to have, but he put it in the second place. A true understanding, or as the Bible version has it, a good judgment, comes in the first place. A right judgment is the most important quality to possess, and then it will know how to utilize and to what purpose to turn the acquisition made by study. I dare say that you have got boxes of puzzles at home. These are accompanied by a picture or plan, and following this you are able to arrange all the little pieces. Well, by study you acquire a great number of little pieces of information, of all colors and sorts. If you lose the plan or picture, you do not know what to do with the separate pieces of the puzzle. So, if you have not got a right judgment, you do not know how to turn your knowledge to account. It is no doubt an excellent thing to desire knowledge, but then I am not so sure that the acquisition of knowledge for its own sake is an advantage. The serpent tempted Eve to eat of the forbidden tree, the fruit of which gave knowledge, the knowledge of good and evil. Eve was impelled by curiosity to get this knowledge. She ate, and her eyes were opened. The acquisition of knowledge was her fall. This was because she sought it for its own sake. She sought it without a right judgment. When Solomon came to the throne, God spoke to him in a dream, and said, Ask what I shall give thee. And Solomon said, Thou hast showed unto thy servant David my father great mercy, according as he walked before thee in truth, and in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart with thee. And thou hast kept for him this great kindness, that thou hast given him a son to sit on his throne, as it is this day. And now, O Lord my God, thou hast made thy servant king instead of David my father, and I am but a little child, and I know not how to go out or come in. And thy servant is in the midst of thy people which thou hast chosen, a great people that cannot be numbered nor counted for multitude. Give therefore thy servant an understanding heart to judge thy people, that I may discern between good and bad, for who is able to judge this thy so great a people? And the speech pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. And God gave him what he asked, a wise and understanding heart, and also what he had not asked, riches and honor. Observe, Solomon desired just the same thing as did Eve, to discern between good and bad, but he did not desire this knowledge for its own sake, but that he might make a good use of it. Eve got the knowledge without a right judgment guiding her, and it was a curse to her. Solomon got it, governed by a right judgment, and it was a blessing to him. Now, what do I mean by a right judgment? 
I mean a knowledge of the purpose to which all that is acquired by study may be put. Now there are two purposes to which knowledge may be put, the advance and advantage of self, and the glory of God. When St. Paul speaks of knowledge puffing up, and contrasts it with charity that edifieth, he is referring to this. Knowledge acquired for a selfish purpose fills a man with conceit, inflates him with pride, and makes him generally disagreeable. But knowledge acquired for a good purpose, to advance the glory of God, edifieth, it builds up and helps others. What then is the purpose for which you learn? Is it merely because you are forced to do so? You hate your studies, but you will be punished if you do not work at them? Then this is getting knowledge with a very poor, miserable purpose. The only purpose is to escape being kept in or beaten. But if you work at your lessons because you are thereby cultivating the talents and opportunities given you by God, then you are acting from a right motive. You have got a good and just judgment. Now some of you will, I have little doubt, take an interest in your work. All studies are tedious at first, but after the first drudgery is over, they begin to afford pleasure and to allure you on. Then the temptation arises to work at them for their own sake, to study history, or music, or drawing, or French and German, because it gives you pleasure. History interests and excites you. Music pleases your ear. Drawing delights your eye. Foreign languages enable you to read foreign storybooks. When you have got so far in your lessons, you are very liable to forget the end, to delight in them for their own sakes, to use them selfishly, to begin to be puffed up with them, instead of keeping a right judgment to direct you, and a good purpose before you the desire to edify with them. I will take a very simple example. You know what drudgery it is, practicing on the piano. You have to go on for many hours at your scales, at elementary pieces, which are intolerably tedious and cost you many tears. After a few years, you are able to play better and then take great delight in music. The world of art opens to you, and you begin to appreciate the glorious creations of Mozart, Beethoven, Weber, etc. Well, it would lighten the labors when practicing at the scales if you thought, I have much hard work to go through, but when my father and mother are old and weary, what happiness I shall be able to afford them, what pleasant evenings I shall make for my father when he is tired with his day's work. This would be a right judgment, giving a direction to your studies. And, afterwards, when you found a pleasure yourself in your music, still you should think, my powers are not for myself alone, but for others." I must try to give others pleasure with my acquired art, as well as myself. Do you know what Hayden did when he was composing The Creation? He wrote at the head of every leaf, To the sole glory of God. He did not think of the applause he should gain by his great work. He thought only how it would express his thanks to God for the beauties of creation, and raised the hearts of thousands who would hear it to the giver of all good. When it was first performed, the marvelous burst of music at Let There Be Light and Light Was caused such enthusiasm that the whole house rose and shouted applause to the composer. But he, with tears running down his cheeks, waved it away, exclaiming, It came from God. It is not mine. Give glory to God. Now, boys, you will go out into life and enter on your several professions. One will be, perhaps, a surgeon, another a merchant, another a farmer, and so on. Each of you, in your several professions and trades, will use the learning you have acquired at school in your youth. But how will you use it? 
for your own selfish purposes, or for the glory of God and the good of your fellow men? That is, will you use it with a right judgment, or without? I have seen, near Redcar in Yorkshire, a sort of college for old men and women, and also a school for orphans, all in one, with its chapel and dining halls and schoolrooms, and gardens and library. This was founded and endowed by a tradesman named Turner about two hundred years ago. In the library are preserved his account books, with lists of what he bought and sold every day. Well, at the top of every page is written, To the glory of God. That was his thought, not to make himself a great fortune, but to do good with his money, to bless his fellow men, to glorify God. Whether we eat or drink, says St. Paul, let us do all for the glory of God. Keep God before your eyes. As you pray that his kingdom may come, so labor to advance it. Have a right judgment guiding you, and God will prosper you. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, says our Lord, and all these things shall be added unto you. You may depend upon it, that if you keep God before you in all you undertake, in all your studies, in all your work, in your business or profession, and seek first the advancement of his kingdom, and secondly your own profit, that he will not leave you without his blessing. But be sure, also, that if you seek your own advancement, enrichment, pleasure, and forget him, and go on in selfish thoughtlessness at the needs and sufferings of others, and in godless forgetfulness about what is due to him through whom all increase comes, then sooner or later you will cry out in despair, I have toiled all the night and have taken nothing. End of section 12